welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. What's up? What's up, beloved? How are we? If you don't know me, my name is Micah. I'm a covenant member here. I'm part of the Breaker CG. Also, shout out to the Brentwood CG for bringing me in the fam when I got here. Um, and I also serve on the production team, which has just been so lovely today. Um, yeah, we'll be reading the Word of the Lord. We're reading Ezra 2, verses 1 and 2, and verses 64 through 70. Now, these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive to Babylonia. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. They came with Zerubbabel, Yeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Reelia, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigwe, Rehum, and Ba'ana, the number of the men of the people of Israel. The whole assembly together was 42,360, besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337, and they had 200 male and female singers. Their homes or their horses were 736, and their mules were 245. Their camels were 435, and their donkeys were 6,720. Some of the heads of the families, when they came to the house of the Lord, that is in Jerusalem, made freewill offerings for the house of God to erect it on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury of the work 61,000 dollars of gold, 5,000 minas of silver, and 100 priest garments. Now the priests, the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants lived in their towns and all the rest of Israel in their towns. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning. Well, family, how are you? Like five of you are good. Hey, uh, I don't know if you know this, but our production team, our worship team, and our setup team, they get here like at 5.30, 6 a.m., and there is no AC. Can we give them a huge round of applause, thanking them for sacrificing this morning? And of all the days to not wear an undershirt, right? Um, hey, we're in the uh, book of Ezra walking through this series. And as, as uh, our lead pastor, Tori, said last week, we believe Ezra will function like a vision series for us, that we believe God is calling us in this season as a church to repair and to rebuild, to more fully establish by putting down deep roots and more fully stepping into the vision that God has for us to play here in Austin and across the nations. And if you remember last week, the book of Ezra tells the story of Israel's return from exile and, and the story of God reestablishing them as a nation to rebuild the temple. And centuries later from the book of Ezra, uh, it paves the way for the Messiah, the Lord Jesus to come. And so the book of Ezra is really about God doing his restoring work among his people and the nation and rebuilding uh, the temple. And I believe the same is true for us today, that God wants to do some rebuilding, repairing, and some establishing work in us as the people of God. Amen? Amen. So last week, chapter one, 
uh, Tori talked about how God stirred the hearts of his people, that he stirred the heart of a pagan king to, to release the captives free, to send them back to Jerusalem to rebuild. It, it's, it's a, it, chapter one is a story of God's movement. It's a story of passion, God's plan. It's a story of God doing crazy cool things. And then you turn to page of chapter two and it's like 42,000 names. And I'm not even joking. That's how many there are there, right? Um, chapter one is exciting. Chapter two, what do we do with, right? Uh, I want to reframe Ezra chapter two for you this morning. Uh, oftentimes, maybe you're like me, that when you see a long list of names, you either have the temptation to check out or skip over. And I want to reframe that for you. Ezra two is not a list of names that are hard to pronounce. It is a list of God's faithfulness and the faithfulness of his people. Uh, second, all of scripture is profitable and useful and teaches us something. Do you believe that, saints of God, right? Uh, during staff exegesis, which is every Monday morning, our staff gathers together, we open the scriptures uh, for the sermon that we'll be looking at that upcoming week. We open them up and we pray through the passage. We pray God's promises over you, well, family. Every Monday morning, our staff does that. And then we, we open the scriptures and we begin to work through what does this passage say, both then in its historical context, and what does this passage say to us here and now, well, Austin? Uh, I can tell you, I walked out with four pages of notes of, of what this passage says to us here and now in 2023. Um, there is gold to be found on every page of scripture, if you're willing to dig for it. And there's gold to be found for us here today. And so what I wanna do is I wanna give you a little backstory of what's happening in Ezra chapter two, and then I wanna help us find the gold of what this says to us here and now. Sound good? Ready to go? Still sweating? All right, let's go. So uh, chapter two, verse one, gives us a few clues as to what's happening in the book of Ezra. It says, now these are the people of the province who came up from captivity of the exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive to Babylon. And it says they returned to Jerusalem, Judea, each to their own town. And right from the beginning, we learn something about these rebuilders returning home. First, we're told that these builders are, are called the people of the province. What that means is they've spent the last 70 years in captivity to Persia. The last 70 years, this group of men and women, students and kids, they've been cut off from the land of God. They've been cut off from worship in the temple of God. They've been cut off, if it, it seems like, from the presence and promises of God. Other people identify them not as the people of Israel, but as the people of Persia, right? They have lost their homeland, their identity, their culture. They are viewed as the people of Persia. Uh, second, it tells us they are captives in exile. Scholars say that about 60% of Israel was taken into captivity and exiled uh, in 586 by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. 60% of the country gone, taken somewhere else, removed. That cities are destroyed, infrastructure is gone. This is an apocalyptic wasteland. That's what we find in Ezra 2. Turn back one page in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 36. This describes the scene for us. It says, The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again. 
because he had pity on his people and his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people, and there was no remedy. They set fire to God's temple, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, they burned all the palaces, and destroyed everything of value. Jerusalem is destroyed. There's actually nothing to come back to. And it says that it was at the hands of Babylon. And at the time, Babylon was the strongest, wealthiest, most mighty empire in the entire world. And do you know why God allowed Babylon to invade Israel and take 60% of them captive? It's because of Israel's twin sins, right? Despite God's continued faithfulness and blessing over his people, that time and time again, the scriptures say, they turned their back on God that over and over again, they committed the twin sins that their hearts were so prone to, the sins of idolatry and injustice. Idolatry is failure to love God and injustice is failure to love your neighbor. That they gave their trust and devotion and allegiance to other things and other people besides Yahweh, the true God. And so because of this consistent and persistent sin, God disciplined Israel through the nation of Babylon. And I think there's application for us here. There's gold for us here that sometimes the hand of discipline actually comes from a heart of kindness. That over and over God warned Israel to repent and turn away from false idols and to reject unjust practices. And God's discipline of Israel is so that Israel would become holy before their holy God. Don't miss this. God is overflowing with love. God is loving and kind and gracious and compassionate, but sometimes God's love has limits. At some point, God's patient love gives way to his just love. Do not confuse God's patient love for his permissiveness of sin, right? Sin is a big deal to God. Sin isn't always a big deal to us sometimes. Uh, sometimes sin will take you further than you wanna go, cost you more than you wanna pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay. Here's the point. Don't play with something that wants to kill you. Sin, his ultimate desire, is to keep you captive and lead to death. Israel consistently played with sin and it led to captivity and exile. And so two generations have been in Babylon cut off from the people and the promises of God because of their sin and rebellion. But God is always faithful to his people, his promises and his covenant. And so he begins to work out a rescue plan to, to withdraw Israel from Babylon, to remove them and free them from captivity and to rebuild his kingdom. And that's what we see here in chapter two. And if you lived during the time of, of Ezra and you looked at Ezra chapter two, you would see this list of names and it would be a genuine encouragement to your faith because you'd see people who might be in your family. You would see people who you know who've gone before you to do the work of God, that this chapter would encourage your faith and build your faith up and build your faith up in the faithfulness of God. And I think the same is true for us today. Amen? So, Chapter two is not about an emphasis on one person or one leader. Chapter two is all about God's people 
that he's raising up to do his building work. Not one name is listed twice in chapter two. Not one name is listed twice. Why? It's about the people collectively doing the work to rebuild, right? Notice in verse two, it says, the people of Israel, these are everyday businessmen and women, farmers, entrepreneurs. It says priests in verse 36. These are teachers of the law. They are spiritual leaders of Israel's day. Then it talks about the Levites. These, these men and women assist the priests uh, as teachers, scribes, musicians. Then it talks about other musicians. They lead people in worship. And then we see in verse 43, temple gatekeepers. They serve as guards and ushers. And then finally, temple servants. These are those who meet the needs of the community, the people and places around them. Why highlight these different groups of people? Here's why. Rebuilding is not built on the talents of a few, but on the sacrifices of many. Let me say that again. Rebuilding is not built on the talents of a few, but on the sacrifices of many. That building God's kingdom, here we see in Ezra 2, takes everyone, that everyone has a part to play in building and reestablishing the Lord's kingdom here in Israel, right? 82% of those returning home did not have any priestly roles. They were everyday, ordinary women and men who simply raised their hand to join God's mission to rebuild, to step into God's calling and do the work that God put before them. I think oftentimes when we think about uh, building and establishing a church, we think about pastors and staff and elders and some high-level volunteers. But guess what? That was never the the, the plan or the theme throughout all the pages of Scripture. God desires for every person to play a part in His kingdom. And the Apostle Paul says this in Romans 12. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. That if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy according to your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Right? Think about this. If you belong to Jesus, the Holy Spirit has given you a gift. The Holy Spirit does not give gifts haphazardly and randomly. The Holy Spirit gives gifts intentionally. And guess what? They're not for you. They're for the people around you. And some of you, you might be setting on your gifts and the people around you are missing out because of that. That the Spirit has gifted you, that you don't need a title to build God's kingdom. You just need a willingness to sacrifice. A willingness to set yourself aside for the sake of the bigger mission and purpose. Are you willing to do that, saints? Right? That as a church community, we need everyone. As they say in Texas, we need y'all, right? That, that every person's gifts and talents and sacrifices, time, talent, treasure, if we need everybody, if we're to do one church plant, send one team overseas, plant churches internationally, disciple the hearts of men and women, we need all of us in God's kingdom work here. When I think about people who've been sacrificing, I think about Thomas. I think about Casey, Katie, Ryan, David, Shannon, Grant, and April, Catherine, Travis, and Mary. So many people who've, who've made me and my wife and our family so seen, known, and valued. And I know that those are some names that you might not know, but they've sacrificed to make the well what it is. 
to, to push forward God's kingdom and to push back darkness, that they are women and men who have sacrificed, served, and are building and have blessed so many of you here today. Um, they probably didn't welcome you today. They probably don't lead your CG, but if you have a great worship experience, it's probably because of them. That if you feel like a sense of belonging, it might be because of them. Not because they were the ones leading it, but because they were the ones who set culture, tone, and pace, right? God's kingdom requires all of us to raise our hand and serve, right? The well is where it is today because of God's faithfulness and the faithful sacrifice of so many more. And the vision God's calling us to, it requires all of us, right? You get to taste the fruit from the seeds other people planted. And it tastes good, doesn't it? We need to plant more trees. We need to plant more fruit trees. And so rebuilding is not about the talents of a few, but the sacrifices of many. So my question to you is, what is your role in building God's kingdom? What is your role in building God's kingdom? Do you know what that is? Right? It, I would say if you have a pulse and you belong to Jesus, we need you. Right? Turn to the person next to you and say, you need me. Some of you enjoyed that way too much. A little weird there. Um, turn to your other neighbor and say, I need you. Right? How wild is it that what we're doing today will impact future generations? So give an example. There are, are women and men right now in a really hot hallway ministering to kids, teaching them the gospel teaching them the story of the scriptures, highlighting for them the attributes and character of God. That impacts generations, y'all. It impacts generations. That God is calling all of us, yes, God is calling all of us to play a part in his kingdom and his role. Do you know what that is for you? Do you know what that is? But sadly, here in chapter two, we see that so few actually sign up for this, right? Because sacrifice requires sacrificing comfort. Look at verse 40. It says, the Levites, the descendants of Jeshua and Kadmiel, the line of Hodava, 74. That number might not mean anything to you. It didn't mean anything to me until I dove into this. Uh, remember, the Levites, they're to assist the priests as teachers, scribes, and musicians. Uh, there's about 4,000 priests who came back, thousands of priests who came back from the exile, but only 74 Levites came back from Babylon. There's supposed to be two Levites for every priest. I'm not good at math, but I think that's more than 74, right? Uh, why did so few come back? Why did so few return? I think Ezekiel 44 gives us a clue. Look at it. It says, the Levites who went far from me when Israel went astray and who wandered from me after other idols must bear the consequences of their sin. They must serve in my sanctuary, having charge of the gates of the temple and serving in it. They are not to come near to serve me as priests or come near any of my holy things or my most holy offerings. Hannah Harrington says it this way. Ezekiel has a vision in which Levites are relegated to be servants of the priests, performing menial temple chores because they lack, because of their lack of the faithfulness to God. Here's the thing. They weren't willing to leave Babylon and go back to have less responsibility. Their pride prevented them from returning from exile. 
They were not willing to make sacrifices that cost them their preferences. They wanted more responsibility in God's kingdom, but weren't even being faithful with what he'd given them. They wanted platforms, influence, and glory instead of building God's kingdom. It was about them and not God's kingdom. They refused to lay down their comfort for the sake of building God's kingdom. And I think this is a warning for us today, that God sees the heart, that he desires to see the fruit of faithfulness in us, church family. Do you believe it? So what is your motivation for serving? Is it recognizing others? Is it to make yourself feel better? Is it to earn the approval of God, right? Show your faithfulness in stewarding the small things with the right heart motivation. That's the invitation of faithfulness, right? Rebuilding requires sacrifice and leaving Babylon was costly. It probably took four months to travel 900 miles from Persia to Jerusalem. Four months, 900 miles. Uh, an eight-hour car ride with a toddler does me in, right? I can only listen to Baby Shark so many times. Uh, I can't imagine a four-month car ride with 42,000 people. I'm an introvert. That is purgatory for me, y'all, right? Four months, 900 miles. Leaving Babylon to go to Jerusalem was costly. Imagine to leave, you had to give up your house. To leave, you had to give up your thriving business. To leave, you maybe had to give up your friends. You left behind an established and full life. It was costly. It cost you time, it cost you financially, it cost you relationally. The ancient uh, Jewish historian Josephus says this about this passage. He says, many remained in Babylon being unwilling to leave their possessions. How sad is that? They rejected God's purposes and blessings and calling because they loved their stuff more than they loved their God. They were freed from captivity, but held captive to the things of the world. They loved their possessions more than they loved their God. And I pray that is never said of us, church family. Obedience to God's plan is always costly and always requires a step of faith. And sacrifice and faith go hand in hand. They go hand in hand together, right? What are the things that maybe prevent you from serving in God's kingdom? Where is there resistance in your heart to building what God is calling you to? Maybe for some of you, it's your time. You're unwilling to sacrifice your time for the sake of others. For others of you, maybe it's your preference and your comfort that you're unwilling to sacrifice for the sake of others. For others of you, maybe it's your, your finances or your pride that you are unwilling to sacrifice for the sake of others, right? The kingdom of God is not built on the talents of a few, but on the sacrifices of many. And sacrifice requires sacrificing comfort and preferences to step into more fully what God is calling us to as a people. Amen? 
Okay, let's keep going. Verse 64 says this, the whole company numbered 42,360 besides their 7,337 male and female slaves. They also had 200 male and female singers. They had 736 donkeys, 245 mules, 435 uh, camels, and 6,720 donkeys. So many donkeys, by the way, so many. Uh, Someone in our staff team said a donkey back then was like a Honda Civic. Nothing fancy, just reliable, occasionally temperamental, right? If you drive a Honda Civic, I apologize, but that's what they said. I'm just repeating it, right? It goes on and says, when they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the heads of the family gave free will offerings toward the rebuilding of the house of God on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for this work, 61,000 derricks of gold, 5,000 minas of silver, and 100 priestly garments. And then verse 70, the priests and the Levites and the musicians and the gatekeepers and the temple servants settled in their own towns, along with some of the other people and the rest of the Israelites settled there. After traveling 900 miles over four months, what's the very first thing that you would do when you got out of the car? right? Would it have a nice cocktail maybe? Would it be to stretch and take a walk, go for a jog, binge on Netflix a little bit, explore the city? Like what's the first thing you would do? Take a shower? I would, that's probably a good one too, right? Um, What's the very first thing these exiles do when they arrive in Jerusalem? The very first thing they do is they worship. They worship. You might say, Jason, how do you know that? Because the text says they gave a free will offering. And simply what that means is that is a spontaneous act of praise and thanksgiving and generosity. That after four months of traveling, the very first thing they do is they worship. And they go to where the temple was supposed to be and it's laying in ruins. It is destruction. There is nothing there but a footprint of something beautiful that used to be there. And they worship at a pile of rubble. And if they can worship at a pile of rubble, we can worship in a hot gym for an hour. Amen? So they, they, they worship the Lord, right? Returning from exile is not about getting home. It's about worshiping the Lord, right? The scripture shows us the posture of their heart, that they long to worship God. They had been cut off from the promised land and the presence of God and the temple for 70 years because of their sin and rebellion. Their souls were dry and they longed to worship God rightly. Is the same true of us? Does your heart long to worship God, church family? Does your heart long to be in his presence? Does your heart long to be in the presence of his fellow saints gathered in a hot room on a Sunday, right? Praising the Lord's character, his name and his glory. Has your heart truly and genuinely worshiped the Lord this week? Has it, right? See, the question is not, has your heart worshiped, but what has your heart worshiped? Because the reality is every day we give our attention, our affection, and our devotion to something. The question is, what are we giving it to? And here, the very first thing they do is they give their attention, devotion, and affection to the Lord, praising Him for what He has done in their life. So they worshiped. Second, it says they gave generously. The scripture tells us what they gave. Derricks, minas, and fine garments, right? A, a minna was equal to five years of wages. And it says they gave 5,000. I'm not good at math, but that's a lot of money, right? 
The point is they worship God through their generosity. They said, Lord, we believe in what you're doing. We believe in your kingdom, what you're calling us to, and we want to be a part of that. So we're going to sacrifice for the sake of your kingdom and your plan. That is faith. That is gratitude. That is worship, right? Think about this. Every time we talk about giving here at the well, we always connect it to worship because giving is an act of worship. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. And he knows your heart is deeply connected to money. And so God says, I want you to open your hands up because I want your heart and your heart is too tied to the things of this world. And so what they do, they modeled for us faith and faithfulness. They were obedient to the Lord when they returned. They worshiped and they gave generously, right? They, they could have thought to themselves, this is what we're giving up. But instead they said, this is what God is inviting us into. Do we have that same mindset? Do we have the spiritual eyes to see what God is building and what God is doing in and through us and among us people? Do we see it? So what do we see from these last few verses? That rebuilding only happens if you have a holy heart and generous hands. It only happens if you have a holy heart and generous hands. And all of this flows from a heart that is holy and desires the things of God and to live a life that is open-handed and surrender before him. And I pray that would always be true of us, church family. I'm almost over time and I'm sweating through my shirt, but there's two more names we gotta look at, okay? Uh, go back and look at verse two for a second. It says, the company of Zerubbabel and Joshua. So who are they and why do they matter in this list? Uh, Zerubbabel, his name literally means seed of Babylon. And here in Ezra, he functions like a governor over the exiles that he acts kingly and wisely governing the exiles as they return to Israel. And then second, we see Joshua. He is the great, great grandson of Hilkiah, who was the priest back in Josiah's day, bringing about worship reform. So here we have a person who acts like a king, and here we have someone who's in the line of a priest. Why are these names mentioned at the beginning of chapter two? because I think they point us to the true and better king and priest, who is the Lord Jesus, right? Both of these names are listed in the genealogies of the gospels. These men are in the lineage of Jesus. They point us to the true and better king and priest, that generations after Ezra, Jesus would arrive to our broken down, sin-scarred world and that he is the true builder of God's kingdom, that the church is founded upon him and that he will build his church, that Jesus is the true high priest, that by his death, we are freed from the captivity of sin and led back into the presence of God, that we have new access to God through Christ and what he has done on our behalf, that he is our king and he is our priest, that he governs our lives and we are called to be obedient to him and follow him and step into his kingdom. This is who Jesus is. This is what Ezra 2 is pointing to, the one who would eventually come, the Messiah, who would free us from our sins and who is building his church and who simply says, do you want to come along for the journey? He doesn't need us, but he invites us. Are you willing to raise your hand and step in to what the Lord is inviting you into? And so I want to end just by giving you a prayer to pray this week. And the prayer is simply this, Lord, use me, to build your kingdom and not my own. Lord, use me to build your kingdom and not my own. Can we pray that this week, church family? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. 
So Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace and your kindness. We thank you that you are the one who is rebuilding and repairing our lives and you are the one advancing your kingdom and that you invite all of us to play a part in that, that you've gifted all of us in so many different ways to be your servants, to be your disciples. And so Lord, I pray for all of us here today that we would recognize that truth and that reality and that we would step into serving you, not for our sake, but for the sake of those around us and ultimately for your glory and joy, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Hey everybody, thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.